Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon. Uh, This is actually a subject I've been asked about multiple times, and I'm not ignoring your reader mail questions. I just don't have the answers myself. And as luck would have it, someone reached out. So I'm Tom, and I'm joined by Lana. I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, I'm. I'll go by William, but on uh, on the internet, psycho by boom. Okay, was it psycho by? Because here you're the boom, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's something I started out when, uh, basically when I started uh, RuneScape, that was the first name I actually picked was the boom. (laughs) So I won't, that's a funny story, actually. I won't say what my gaming name is because I don't want to, but Mm -hmm. it comes from playing Battlefront 1 on PS2. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) and I made a character on that that can also go online and quite literally I just copied that over um, from there in Age of Empires 2 since I mean god when was that 2000 all the way since like 2003 or something like Mm -hmm. that that's literally and I was like I'll just stick with this name this is fine yeah it looks a little childish I think in some of my emails which uh, of course my emails you've communicated communicated with our Moore's Law is dead. But uh, I have some old emails that <laughs> people mm-hmm. probably think I'm 16 years old. Yeah, <laughs> I get that too. Um, I have a professional email to to be able to say that's what you've been communicating with. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I don't know why change it. I, I like it, so. Yeah, well, but, it's because getting jobs. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. So speaking of that though, so so what, what made you reach out to me about this. Well, I was watching one of your videos and somebody asked a question. I can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was related related to uh, networking. Mm-hmm. Um, was this so, a loose ends video? Yeah, it was uh, talking about. I can't remember exactly what video I saw at the time. I'd have to look back. When, it doesn't matter. I make yeah, too many of them. Exactly. <laughs> I watch all of them, but I really do because. Uh, when you're in IT, you you spend a lot of time uh, doing work, but also trying to preoccupy your mind. <laughs> I, no, I know what you mean. I listened to a YouTuber that I don't. I'll admit it. It's his name is Tone Vase, and he's like a Bitcoin trader. And for some reason, even though I don't think it's that great, it just fills my brain. Which I'm not saying I'm not great, but I'm saying at the very least, it's like you know he puts out live streams constantly, and you know what? That's it's good enough for me. Like, yeah, I, I just need it in the background. Well, you're one of the people that I was uh, watching that convinced me that uh, AMD stock is a good idea. Um, <laughs> so I do pay attention at least. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is uh, definitely pay attention to. Maybe not my next big video, but one coming out in a couple of weeks. It is very Intel-centric, so I'm going to make the devil's argument for what Intel could be doing. Well, I will also make the networking argument as far as why uh, what AMD is doing is actually very important on our side. So why don't you touch on that? We, we did a small chat before this. This is how I kind of vet people sometimes. And mm-hmm. uh, I, you referenced the security issues in AMD. Why, why don't we go into that first before we get into 5G? Yeah, so it, they, with the security issues, a lot of that has to do with arbitrary code. And so with the company I work for, and just to be clear, I'm not representing my company. I'm representing myself, yeah. <laughs> as you need to say. Uh, but 
essentially, uh, I gave uh, the link to how we respond to it. And and this is to summarize, uh, the reason why we're not worried specifically as a networking company uh, has more to do with the fact we don't allow uh, arbitrary code to be executed on our platform. And I had a friend who was trying to, say, execute an application. Um, and so the system would reject that because it it's an arbitrary code to execute within the actual frameworks. And it so, was so just completely rejecting it. What do you mean when you say arbitrary code? Because I bet most people don't know what that means. Yeah, I, I was about to explain that. So arbitrary code just means any executable program. So any program that you're trying to push in or any script that you want to push in to do pretty much whatever you want. Say you want to run um, Minecraft through the mm -hmm, actual mm -hmm. framework. So you have like DOS screen and it's playing Minecraft or whatever <laughs> for some weird reason. Um, the system will reject stuff like that because it's not a part of the base uh, system. And so stuff like that pr protects against the um, uh, Spectrum and Meltdown links because that's mainly what they're uh, what's mm. required in terms of access in order to execute them and this is this is why a lot of systems are vulnerable is cuz not that's not useful for every um uh hardware or server platform uh cuz you need to have a lot of um malleability when you completely control the device so this is why it's concerning to a lot of the people in the in the networking team and networking field is because they have to customize the uh, actual like uh, framework that that that's designed around it, so they can execute their own applications. And basically, they start from scratch, make their own thing, put it into the system. And for that reason, having it locked down isn't beneficial for them. Right, and and it's funny because I I knew what you meant right away when you said arbitrary code because this is the code that lets me not use a. USB to HDMI adapter on my work laptop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it has to install that one driver. And so if I buy something to use with my work devices, I know it has to work without a driver. It just has to have it inherently built into the device that it works on its own end. Mm -hmm. And if it requires some installation, I just know it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I understand why. I mean, I do understand why they would have that requirement. Yeah, yeah. and and a lot of what we talked about earlier was air gapping, and I brought up uh, why they, that's actually still it's still a concern even if you air gap it because of how updates and um, how uh, alterations with the the system work. So if you up if all. Uh, computer networking and all hardware has to be updated and has to be uh, integrated with the firmware, especially networking equipment because uh, firmware helps like block out bugs and all that kind of stuff and they fix issues. Well, that means at one point it has to eventually reach the internet. And so I'm not going to say who, but I work with certain clients and mm -hmm. even the highest level, they do still have the ability to pull download files to upgrade uh, the infrastructure, and and this is like the highest level of security type people. So, mm -hmm. um, if anyone's going to block it off completely, it would be them. But in these instances, there's it's impossible because it is still a networking device. It still has to go do routing and all that kind of stuff. So, even then, uh, it still has to be updated. And in those update packages, um, unless you lock down arbitrary code. To where it doesn't like execute anything that it wants, um, 
unless it's a system like that, there's really not much you can do if the the update was fraudulent or just spoofed and made to look legitimate. So I think, yeah, when you say the highest level of security customers, you you mean like medical records and financial companies, Mm, right? A little bit higher than that. So would this be government and voting? Yeah, government. um, Yeah, definitely government. Like highest level of government you can imagine is Mm -hmm. our clients. Uh, (laughs) Is all all I really can say. Yeah, right. And so when they need to make their devices secure, I mean, in other words, what you're saying, the only way to make it 100% secure is to not allow arbitrary code and to Mm -hmm. air gap it. And it's still a problem, Spectre and Meltdown. Yeah, it's still a problem if somebody made a a legitimate or somebody, uh, like, you know how you get those USB drives out of nowhere and somebody somehow installs it into the, uh, (laughs) they plug it in and somehow for some reason... Uh, your USB allows that to happen. Uh, yeah. The network can be effect- infected, and the whole thing can be taken down. Um, we also like have permissions um, requirements. So there's a lot of like other vulnerabilities that are required. And if those vulnerabilities are accessed, that means you have a bigger problem than than our equipment. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why we're my company is not worried, and we're not worried at least. And we're also doing the best. the The new one, the zombie load, that one's one that's actually uh, more worrisome because it's mm-hmm. it's not as simple as executing arbitrary code. It's actually a monitoring problem. And right. that's way harder to deal with. Um, and it's also like the fixes. As if uh, you can read that document and feel free to like link it and share it. That's fine. I don't, I don't care uh, about that because that's all public information. Um, that stuff is really harder to fix because it comes down to are we going to impact or negatively impact our clients uh, in that our in that specific one the zombie load one that one didn't actually like in the spectrum meltdown it does mention other right. uh, platforms uh, CPU platforms being affected which is true because they're all x86 hmm. um, or they're all processing units and they use uh, multi-thread yeah 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 um, right. but. That's like saying uh, all version, all operating systems are technically malleable to to a vulnerability, but that doesn't mean that it, the CPU can get affected. If you have like uh, external uh, security, like AMD has actual security that that scans the the uh, computations, which is why they claim not to be affected. Um, it, it's technically it technically can be affected, but it's built. To mitigate, to not be, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, the and you tell me if this is a bad analogy. The analogy I would make is, hey, look, depending on how far away from how far away from me you are when I shoot at you, depending on what gun I use, yeah, the cheapest bulletproof vest might block it. But look, (laughs) some vests are meant to block certain bullets, and Intel's just isn't meant to block this type of thing. And yes, it could block, you know. Yes, the other vest could fail, but it's built to not fail. Even yeah. if technically it's not perfect. You never want to get shot. So Exactly. But in this case with Zombie Load, the reason it's more worrisome, it has to do with the fact that, and it only impacts Intel because it has to do with Hyper-V. And the mm-hmm. only company that has that technology is Intel, or at least the only main one that uses that. Currently, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so those affect Intel processes, but doesn't affect AMD. And um, this is... 
when co- when we were talking about like voting systems, uh, yeah. this all comes back to how this all relates to that. Is that um, if you look up on YouTube for DEFCON voting machines, that's all you have to search to actually see the evidence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they one year they had the adults go, okay, let's see what we could do, and so then they played, I think. The, the Pac-Man theme song with the voting machines. And the encryption key, one of them was A, B, C, D, E. And uh, if that... Sounds like a government machine to me. Yeah. Well, that's a private company, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> All our voting machines are actually manufactured and owned by private companies. That's true. But I would say is if your encryption key is, is that fantastical... Um, the ch- odds of me being able to replicate your network and make it look like a legitimate update in order to infect your your system mm. is probably fairly high with a, a legitimate and spoofed update. And if I can do that, therefore I can implant a logic virus and make the candidate I favor win and just put language that says ignore everybody else if it and or fracture the vote of everybody else, which is something that is possible to look into. We can actually prove things like this. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 a comparison I would make, and this is again out of left field, this is when everyone takes a drink. So when my parents were getting Bitcoin, here we go, I'm bringing up Bitcoin. Um, they used a certain wallet that wasn't the standard core wallet. Now, the core wallet is decentralized, and you don't really have to worry about anything being pushed onto it that you know a million other people haven't approved at the same time. But if you use a centralized wallet, someone, I believe, hacked a Google server where those wallets in that part of the country were hosted, and they mm-hmm. pushed in a thing that popped up. And, and it didn't happen to my parents, but I heard about this online. This thing would pop up saying, download this upgrade to the newest Bitcoin node. And what it did is it downloaded an application that stole all your Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had to click download. But still, how many people probably did, right? Yeah. They, you know, it's, it's so scary to see that stuff. Yeah, and this is one of the things that people don't know is that um, sometimes people will send out messages from IT um, and they'll say things like, this is a something to be, this is legitimate, for instance. Uh, I'm just going to quote an email that happened to go out mm-hmm. to somebody. Uh, people who know about the situation will know who I'm referring to when I say it, this is a specific way. Um, uh, I'll just say who it was. John Podesta, when people were talking about John Podesta's thing, it was his fault. Ish. It was a combination of his fault <laughs> and also IT, but it's it's his fault because he's not well versed on on what to do if there is a, a password leak or your password gets out and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also IT's fault because they phrased it a specific way, which means. And, and were, could you give a little more background to what you what happened with John Podesta? So he basically got an email and it had a link. And this was the first email from my Fisher who was trying to get his passwords uh, to his email account so that they could log in and, and get all his emails. This was the whole WikiLeaks thing that people are, are worried about. When it came down to it, IT stated that this is legitimate and they gave a link in Google uh, to reset the password, the link for Google. But because they said this was legitimate, he ended up using that link. And so that's why IT mm. has to, when they send out the stuff, has to be really, really careful of our wording. And we also have to um we also have to to educate 
the people uh, that never click a link just go to the actual legitimate page. Like just go right, to Google. Which is something I do, by the way. Um, it, <laughs> well, for an example, yeah. uh, I'll buy Microsoft Office and they want to charge $200 for Microsoft Office Professional. But if I go to eBay, there's people selling keys for 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to be careful, though. If they give me a link to the download page, I'll always double-check the link and go to the original source of the download page separately to yeah. make sure this... Because that is a scam on eBay, too. But they'll try to hack your machine that way. And I just know to do that. Yeah. Right? Well, what will also happen is they'll spoof the link to make it look legitimate. You can actually make a link look for, like it's from a legitimate source, but then have oh, yeah. like a tiny URL and then shifts it over. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but customizable links that redirect automatically are... Uh, well, yeah, so like, that happened recently. I just didn't even trust it at all. I'm like, there's some reason I'm not trusting this. So yeah. I just went to, I don't know, a forum. They're like, well, here's the official link. And then I went to what Microsoft's page. Just, <laughs> I just went to their official key redemption link. And it worked. And I'm like, okay, yeah. let's use this. So, like, so why risk it? Yeah, so I, I actually have like some breaking stuff uh, in terms of breaking news. My personally, and the way I met, emailed you about this, and I just want to bring up for a brief just sure. to mention it because it is a zero day vulnerability that impacts pretty much anybody who banks through audio, uh, anyone who has an audio banking system, which is pretty much everybody. <laughs> I don't know what that means. What an audio banking you call system? you call a number and they oh. say, Hey, check your balance. Uh, you have to enter your, your credit. Your oh, number. interesting. Yeah, I don't do that because I'm under the age of 50, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so. It, it 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 mainly impacted um, one bank in particular, and that bank. Uh, and I'm trying to to work with them on it to to first uh, try to communicate with them and try to it's get. It's up resolved. to you if you want to say who they are. I don't want to say oh. who they are just because it okay. needs to be closed down first before okay. uh, I reveal that. Um, the the process, and this is where it becomes where you're vulnerable. If you're when you do the automated system. You yeah. all you enter is your bank account number and the last four digits of your social or your uh, as you have an LLC um, or other people who have LLCs. I can't remember. It's the uh, uh, it's like the equivalent of a, a social security number, but for businesses. Mm. Um. Anyways, so that last four, if they all if they validate you with the last four of that as a method to get into the balance. Yeah. The way that basically is a vulnerability is because with that access, I could link it up to say a um, online transaction page or I could make a um, wire transfer or not a wire transfer, an ACH transfer. Are you saying it's because they're recording you saying your social security number? Well, no, no, no. So because you enter just your uh, account number, which Mm -hmm. does get leaked, and you enter just yeah, the last four digits of your social, which also gets leaks a lot. And and it also businesses have that information out there because they have to pay people. Um, because that's how they validate it. I can see the account balances. I can see transactions. And so, like, for instance, with E-Trade, how they validate to link an account is they send an amount over Um to to the account and so do other websites do this but eTrade's a good example of this once you get those amounts you can then verify uh that account and now it's verified and now you can start transferring money legitimately um 
In the instance when I found this, the reason I know this is because a person I, I, I determined later on was a scammer mm-hmm. and who stated they would make me an authorized user to the account. So by all standards, what I did was technically legal by my perception. If I believed them legitimately and they, I believed that they were um, making me an authorized user, I would technically have the right to do this. However. Uh, the only thing that actually stopped me was that this actually was a business account, someone's business account, and they actually never knew um, mm-hmm. that I had actually attempted a transfer. And that, now I will say I did that. Technically, it's completely legal. I can technically do that because they have given me the information completely and offered to give me money, offered to transfer money, and as well as uh, uh, basically. Uh, uh, offered to make me an authorized user because of those 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 various things. Even though they did not have rights to the account, anyone else who who wanted to do that out of legitimacy could do that. However, in this scammer's uh, perception, he could do this without uh, illegally. He could do it illegally. He could just do it without authorization from the account. As a matter of fact, him giving me this information is illegal because it's fraud. He's claiming to be uh, this business or associated with this business. He's claiming to have this money and he's claiming to give me this money. And the scam is that he wants your account information so he can deposit an electronic check, which is what he was saying, but which is why it's technically legal because he was saying he was going to give me money. And so I was testing it to see how far this would go. And it goes to the point where it will attempt to make a transfer. Um, with the amount of information I have. Now, what I won't say every bank is vulnerable. My bank is not because it asks for a PIN number. If your bank actually asks for a PIN number, you're fine, you're safe. Because this can be changed and it's also private. That information also doesn't leak uh, your PIN number because it's all right. that tends to be encrypted. Your social security number and stuff like that, that like it's uh um who was the main um was it Equifax? Yeah, or? Equifax. So Equifax yeah. had lost people's information leaked, and and the, and my brother was actually affected by that. But essentially, oh. your account information by um, other company businesses can get leaked all the time. It does all the time, and your last four does get leaked all the time. And if a bank verifies you with just those two pieces of information on the automated system, someone can link it up, and someone can transfer your money. And it can, and there's nothing you can do about it unless you can prove that it was an illegitimate transfer. Because an ACA, ACH transfer has to be returned by the originator. Right. I mean, that's how money's supposed to work. <laughs> yeah. And so the reason I bring this up is because I don't know who, 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 who. Would find this more uh, interesting, but it, to me personally, I want to get this to everyone as many people as I can, because it is something that that can affect a lot of people, and it's really, really scary how how much that actually can affect uh, so many people and how you could lose everything, even if you didn't give anybody anything. Right. So, are you advising to just not use that form of verification, though? I would advise that banks change the verification to just PIN numbers uh, that they could set up uh, for those kind of transfers, a actual PIN. So like you have a uh, your checking account PIN number, 
you know, mm-hmm. your, with your debit card. And then you can also have a, a ACH uh, check uh, or ACH uh, pin number. So that way the system, because it all gets electronically um, processed anyways, the system just verifies, oh, that is your pin. Therefore, this is a legitimate transaction. Because if that if that system, that type of system exists, I could never have actually initiated regardless of the information I, I got. Yeah, it, it, the fact is, social security numbers were never meant to be used yeah. as some kind of, I guess, what do we, what you called a human private key. They were never meant to be used that way. And yeah. the fact is that the way to have good security is just to have a simple password that's not obvious that you can remember, and then redundancy, mm-hmm. whether it's two-factor authentication or a few other measures that are easy to remember that you aren't overly complex. like So for instance, for a customer I work with to log into their supplier portal, I need to use, they change the password every mm-hmm. month and they require me to do a 16-character password that has special characters, numbers, capital, like everything you can imagine. And so it's if you're going to make me change this every month, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to use a password generator. Like <laughs> I can't remember a hundred passwords. I have like ten, maybe five to ten passwords. I legitimately remember that I use often, and I I separate them by tiers of security. So, for instance, for my Bitcoin keys, I've never written them down, but I know what that password is. I'll never forget it, mm-hmm. and I have ways of like referencing it if I did forget it, which was nerve wracking when I did need to remember it once, <laughs> but. uh you know, and that's like the highest tier, right? And then below that's like banking and credit cards. And then, and then below that, I'll have maybe a password that I've used forever that I don't care for stupid emails. And then an even dumber password for like Netflix, because if they hack into Netflix, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'll just change my password. You know, and it's like you have all these different tiers and like the you want redundancy, maybe two-factor authentication. And you want the password to be, you should not allow people to make their password password or like you said, A, B, C, D, E. But when you require people to have like a 20 character password with all these different things, they're not going to remember that and that's going to cause them to make mistakes. Yeah. And and there's no way to have perfect security. It's called responsibility. People need to be responsible for their passwords. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, with security, you don't actually have to make it. Uh, with password security and stuff like that. I, I worked in my past, and here's some of my, my actual history. I worked mm-hmm. for the government. And mm-hmm. so we actually have a, a PIV uh, a verification system, a PIV card, or a CAT card, a common access card, um, is what those stand for, a private identity verification. is literally what those things stand for. <laughs> um, and so you slip it in, it checks the... Uh, it it validates the card. It checks for certificates and verifies itself. And then you enter a PIN. Um, so this is the type of things. And the PIN's just a uh, a short digit PIN. It's not a, it's not a terribly long thing. But when you start out with an account, you do need a password and that kind of stuff um, until you get your PIB card or CAT card. But that's the thing is that when it comes to security. There's different ways to do the same thing, and it doesn't require a huge uh, password to secure the account. You can have like no. something on yourself. Like for instance, I have um, on my phone. There's a uh, hold on. I'm gonna pull it up one second. Well, while you're pulling it up, I'll say this too. Like 
for the example I gave, the 16-character password, you're not mm-hmm. stopping brute force attacks with a 16-character password. Like, you could have stopped at eight. No known computing device, as long as the password's good, is going to be brute force. I mean, 16? Yeah. Like, this is l- l- hilarious to think that you need that. To need more than 10, even. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but I have a ping ID, for instance, uh, in order to access certain... Uh, sections of the job I currently have to connect to like a VPN or something. I had to use that or certain pages because it requires you to log in. But I still don't have to use a terribly long password, but it requires me to verify that, hey, you are requesting access to this page. Uh, move your finger up. So literally flip a switch uh, mm-hmm. to verify on your phone that you're Yeah, I've seen access. that before. Again, and I've seen that on some Bitcoin exchanges where they actually make you do a thing like that that you just you're not going to replicate easily. Yeah, exactly. And so these are two-factor authentication methods. It can be something you have, uh, something physical you have, uh, something you know, passwords, and also. Um, there's like somewhere you are. It's like in the A plus. They have a bunch of these different ones they list. But if a company is hoping that your password is like 16 digits and therefore that <laughs> keeps you safe, uh, if the hash file gets out, well, uh, exactly tough time. And if the hash file is in the clear with the passwords, which is even worse than if the then <laughs> then anything then even having complicated passwords. If the pass if the hash files in the clear are not peppered. Um, then you've got a bigger problem than than worrying about how long your password is. So well, yeah, and I don't know who makes this decision. I would almost assume it may have came from some kind of breach, and then someone who doesn't understand the tech told IT you just have to do this, and they yeah. thought that made it better. And again, I'm going to make a gun reference because, and I do this a lot too because it's pretty open now. I like guns, but like there was this period in the '80s where they made better and better body armor, but they didn't have the material science to make it mm-hmm. light. So it's like, yeah, I mean, this can block, you know, a heavy, a high-powered rifle. But if it weighs 80 pounds, the soldiers don't wear it into battle. And so this body armor is useless. It is mm-hmm. useless if they're not going to utilize it. When you have to, when you make these overly complicated passwords, and at least from what I've seen in studies, ones that you have to update every month, people aren't going to use passwords they remember. They're going to write them down, store them in email addresses, and those can be hacked. Or there can be password generators that are compromised. And you just need to trust that people aren't stupid. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you just need to, like, maybe you require eight characters and at least one of them has to be a number. But after that, just what are you wasting your time with? Yeah, well, like, for instance, I actually have on my phone, like, my own personal security to my phone that has access to everything Mm -hmm. uh, that would be me. I use a PIN number. Now, the PIN number is actually pretty long. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But it is is it's just a pin number to get into my phone. Uh, I also use fingerprint. Um, right, right. To get in my phone, you need a pin number, then a fingerprint to use the apps. And if you combine that with, you know, well, I have a fingerprint, a retinal scanner. But if I wanted to unlock my phone without those things, uh, it's a. Uh, I'm gonna count how many digits it is. Uh, it's a. See, four 16-digit uh, pin number, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just numbers, though. So, But right, so you can remember it. Yeah, I can remember it. You don't that. have to use a hashtag and yeah. a carrot up sign. And... But, but that, pa- that pin number, that actual number sequence, could never be like brute force. You could never no. brute force it in. Um, 
And so something that simple can secure your system. But for instance, in your case, if they wanted to secure it, just get HID to make cards for everybody and have them have an RFID chip that plugs into their computer. <laughs> it's just one of those things that drives me nuts that people try to do really complicated things to secure themselves. Mm. And all that does is just wear down system resources, but doesn't actually secure the network. There are more com- there are more easier ways to make complicated security. Right. Well, and and so now this is where, unless you want to have something else to say, but I nope. think I'm going to move on to another subject. Yeah. So, um, the original thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we've already. I'm going through kind of my notes here. I think we've established you work. Well, what what technically what type of company do you work for? Do you want to say that? I work for a contracting company. I'll say if you post a link to the the uh, page that talks about like the vulnerabilities and stuff, uh, it's fine. Like my who I work for is fine. Like I even told my boss about this this interview. So okay, they 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 were fine with it. They're actually happy because they they um they like the fact that hey, this is you're a pretty. Uh, swell person. So <laughs> you seem like you could. We'll be a, see. I haven't decided yet. Uh, I mean, come on, man. I'm trying. Best. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I work for the client that that I'm contracted to is uh, that the company contracts with is Aruba, which is owned by a, a, HPE. I actually do mm-hmm. want you to post the the link to um, the security uh, vulnerabilities to see, so okay. that way people can see. Um, no, I'll make it the top link in the yeah, uh, yeah. notes. So that way people can see what does uh, a networking company, the second largest networking company, actually think about these kind of vulnerabilities and and should they re- people be worried about them when they have certain network and, and set up um, and what concerns they should have. Again, I, I'm representing myself, not my, my company, but right. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I want to touch on this too. The, the, these vulnerabilities are serious. I think I'm one of the few tech channels that keeps hammering like, uh, you've probably noticed, like, guys, yeah. seriously, everyone I'm talking to, and I mean everyone, says this is a big deal. And I want to add to it, too. I'll give everyone a, a snippet here. And this is my own company. I just got an email two days ago that they're rebooting their servers because they're overloaded for just basic email distribution. Yeah, And it's very clear to me it's because of these vulnerabilities. Uh, they didn't say it in the email, but it's clear to me that's what they're referencing. Especially because near the end, they say we're ordering more processors as quickly as possible to scale up the load. I'm like, I know what this is. This is now it's affecting email servers. Yeah. Like that's how bad the performance hit is. And to the people that say it's not a big deal, like I, I, it can sound esoteric and like an edge case to hack, but it's not if you're a company. Well, and and it might not be for your personal stuff either, guys, but if you're a company, this is like, It'd be, it's centralized. You know, what info can you get from hacking any company with more than 3,000 employees? Probably mm-hmm. a lot of stuff you can use to make money. Yeah. People's computers are, are personal computers. If they get pushed out a Windows fix or a fix for these vulnerabilities, you don't get a choice which ones you implement. As in, right. they'll just push out a, a wide patch uh, to fix them. And and because they don't want their system vulnerable, otherwise they'll be liable. Like Windows could, uh, Microsoft could be liable for for that if they don't fix it, mm-hmm. because they know about the vulnerability and it's been talked about and that kind of stuff. Like for instance, Zombie Load, 
people can buy personally the enterprise version of Windows. Everybody can. I actually, I bought it myself because it's a useful thing to use uh, virtualization and connect to your computer remotely. Um, especially when you're out and you have to do work. Um, in in our in Arupa side, and this is the part that you should take away from the, those briefs over the vulnerabilities, it says specifically that they are examining uh, these uh, fixes to see if they to weigh whether or not they are going to negatively impact the the client on a resource side because of how much stuff you have to turn off. So um, they 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 aren't subject to certain vulnerabilities, but the vulnerabilities themselves are still worrisome for Intel uh, and those parts because they're because a lot of server companies and and server hardware distributors use those uh, components. They are worrisome on the fact that they will reduce the ability, like you were talking about, to do certain functions. And that's uh, what's going to turn away customers from our, what we're selling to, to customers and, and basically give business to other companies that have figured a way to, to not have to turn off those functions and hinder the stuff well. But what companies have done instead is, and and this goes to to the top levels, um, just to say uh, how how wide people are are doing this. For zombie load, they stopped using Hyper V altogether, mm-hmm. and they just went to virtual vSphere or other uh, applications that do not use uh, hyper virtualization as of right now, or VMware or anything like that. So they're they're just going to different companies. And that that's an example of where it hits the hardest is when your company gets ousted because if you they use that function anymore, it opens them completely to 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 monitoring vulnerabilities. And that's the worst. Yeah. Let me ask you this. This is kind of random, but it's like um why do you think these are popping up in Intel's architecture? And I'll say first, I mean, I I think a lot of people say like, uh, well, <laughs> you know, fanboys will say it's because Intel's stupid. or And then they'll say these other things too, like, oh, well, it's because they were cheating with performance. And I don't, and my opinion is it's it's neither. It's just, look, this is an old architecture. Yeah. Usually you switch CPU architectures every I mean, what, right? Four to six years. Intel's been basically using the same thing for over yeah. 10. And if you do that, I mean, you give anyone any device and yeah. they'll find a weakness in it. If you give them 10 years, it doesn't matter what you give them. They'll find out this yeah. weird trick they can do. Yeah. Well, for my, I'm a pessimist when it comes to companies. Um, okay. Like the whole Volkswagen thing. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm usually an optimist. The Volkswagen one will make you a pessimist. Yeah, so I, I tend to to so I you know people go why attribute to to uh, malice what you contribute to to ignorance or you contribute to to um, Vol- Volkswagen yeah. was an ignorance. I work in the automotive industry. I'll, yeah. I'll let you know some stuff if you want. It, it was not ignorance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's malicious is because the yeah. cost benefit analysis tends to be tends to be uh, cheaper. You talk about this all the time, where where Nvidia can't just switch and take out parts of their 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 infrastructure no. of their of their. Uh, GPUs, their architectures. They they have a they. I do think Nvidia has a lot of hat tricks for getting better performance, or uh, or should I say, better performance we measure because it depends what performance you're measuring. If you're just measuring frame rate, or to give them credit, frame times, they do well at that. 
So that that's actually what I was going to go to because if you look at like Cortex's videos, and I know mm-hmm. you had him on, and he's a great guy. I like watching his videos too. Um, <laughs> I watch all you guys' stuff. Um, and this is why I get concerned about certain things and why I talk about it all the time. We talk about it all, all the time. Um, but when it comes to Cortex and and the video I was watching where he was showing the... And he referenced another person's video. I can't remember who exactly it was. But basically how uh, in NVIDIA, in order to get those numbers, they were literally taking out parts of the... Yeah. The video of Tech Yes City did a good video. Yeah, on Tech it, yeah. Yes City, that's who it was. So that's who that's who he was referencing. It was basically because they're doing that, and they're 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 the leader of 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 graphics. And so they have to keep pushing those frame rates and always be the highest because that's the thing that that people don't get is that when you're at the top, it's really easy to fall. If you don't keep those things up, and this is where my pessimism it's a comes good in, comparison actually yeah. to Volkswagen. Yeah, is they'll try, they'll do the cost-benefit analysis, and they're not just doing like how much the parts cost, because that's that's the easy numbers. You can always go, oh, it costs this yeah. much, but in terms of scandal, in terms of in terms of if we do a recall. People will not trust our brand anymore. If we if we don't keep giving this high numbers, and this includes, this is why I think Intel sticks to this architecture. It's a good architecture. It does a lot of good things. It's old. Almost killed AMD. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they were trying to, but, and this, this will correlate with the, the sort of like, it's sort of ignorance part malice. It's a combination of both. It doesn't. That's the thing. Is these aren't mutually exclusive. You can you can have a gambler fallacy. You can just keep going in all in on this. And the way I'll put it best to give Intel at least a little bit benefit of the doubt is you you know how uh, what their target was for the ten nanometer. Uh, hmm. How they were shooting for like uh, what was it twenty percent or they were going for um, I can't remember exact IPC gang. They were trying to do double or something. Um, um uh, what I re- what I remember, what yeah. I remember from Intel's 10 nanometer targets was over double the density. I don't remember the exact number. It's like 2.13 or it was like exactly. an insane in density increase. And then they were also going to go for two times. I don't remember I IPC, but you know, they were going for like uh, everything, right? Like if we look at to give an example to people, if you look at TSMC's seven nanometer to their sixteen, yeah. it's like they wanted eighty percent more density and fifty percent higher performance, or maybe you know. And what it, it, all things the same yeah. again? It's either fifty percent higher clock speeds or double the density. Usually, people choose a little bit of both. Yeah. And what in yeah, and Intel's was insane. It, it yeah. was like an insane shrink they were going for for some reason too. And I think that they would agree by, with us by now. I don't know why we insisted on that. Yeah. Well, what I would say is is that because of that target, um, that that transition. So that new part, um, and I don't know anything in the back of the scenes, but that new part could contain the fixes for the the security issues too. Uh, because of the the more room, more space, therefore you can insert a and the more power, therefore you can insert a physical hard solution to fix it. Um, 
fix the, the zombie load, the to scan for the threading, uh, to make sure arbitrary code. I don't remember what AMD's solution is. Um, no, I don't either. So. But I know they do have a a, a hard uh, hardware solution that's in, uh, mm-hmm. a part of the architecture. It scans the the CPU. It actually scans the CPU for for stuff that's injected into it. And here's where it comes back to malice: is that Intel and AMD both knew this at the time, way before any of this stuff came out. They both oh, yeah. were aware. That's why Intel AMD, knew way before. Yeah. yeah, that's why AMD actually they actually talked about this. And you can see Lisa Sue's quote. She actually does state that she that's why they actually targeted to, to create a hardware solution to fix this. Um, and so that's where it becomes malicious. And this is why nobody should be a fanboy of any company. <laughs> Companies yeah, I know. are not your friend. No. And there's no bigger sign of that than CEOs of, of Goldman Sachs and every other company signing a document stating, well, maybe profit shouldn't be the only thing we focus on. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. That's good for business, but it's bad for everybody else if if all they focus on is profit. Because well, in the long term, it, that's how you lose everything. And I do need to comment on that because I'm constantly accused of being an AMD fanboy, except on the AMD subreddit where they hate me more than anywhere else. <laughs> a, a, an insane phenomenon I'm starting to understand. Yeah. Right, because some of my videos, especially some Zen 3 stuff, but I have another Zen 3 Yes, that's right. Another Zen 3 video, everybody. Coming out where I talk about what AMD's priorities are, what what's being said about what they're working on. Mm-hmm. And people are saying now, well, they're changing this. I thought AMD was my friend. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> AMD was never your friend. They're a business. The only reason I report on AMD a lot now is because they're yeah. doing interesting stuff. And by the way, I've got like four Intel videos I'm working on. I know Adore just did an Intel video. Like Intel's working on some pretty cool stuff now too. And the reason I don't do a lot of NVIDIA videos is because like they're not doing anything. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Like what do you, it's just a bigger card. That's their, guys, big league coming out. Another bigger card next year, I'm sure. Like, that, and that, and that's why it's not because I'm a fanboy, and you should never think AMD is your friend because they're yeah. certainly not. Yeah, um, Lisa Sue is doing great, Ed. But if she oh, yeah. was your friend, do you think she would have reacted that way to that Lisa Sue doll, like <laughs> the superhero Lisa Sue doll that she got uh, during the uh, launch of Ryzen Two? <laughs> like, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's just you could check it out during the the actual. I think I've heard of it, but yeah. I don't remember the detail. <laughs> they they did later on show off the doll after she found out it was from a a, a friendly company actually, <laughs> but instead of a fan. <laughs> but they that's basically how they. Uh, I can't remember who the the spokesperson of, of uh, AMD is. The the guy who uh, was on stage with her uh, handed it to her, so, saying it's from fans. <laughs> Basically, it's the super yeah. Lisa, Lisa Sue super uh, hero thing. I can't remember what it's called exactly. Yeah, I see that a lot too. And I want to be clear: I saw her at Hot Chips, which was really cool. Yeah, right. And uh, I will say, she has a presence. She walks in the room. It's like it's kind of like some of those people you see. Like examples I would give or, well, I won't yeah. give examples, but like some of the biggest directors, comedians and politicians, they just walk in a room and you go, oh, this guy's in charge or she's yeah. in charge. And it's like, yeah, th- there's something about her where it's like, oh, oh, this is a competent person. There's yeah. something about how she walks and talks to people. It's yeah. very deliberate. 
No, no, that she's not your be, friend. Yeah, she might she, be a nice person, but she's not your friend. Yeah. Her job's to make AMD money. And, and and she is a generally nice person. She's a good person. The difference is, is like it's not her fan. The fans of AMD is not the same as as an actual friend of 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 mm-hmm. the person. Yeah, networking wise, in in terms of consumer, the the thing I will tell people is like your network will only run as fast as your CPU. Azure hard drive, Azure, you know, you have like gigabit Ethernet ports, but then you have like a two a dual core Pentium processor. Mm-hmm. You're you're not going to be able to download everything. No, even if you're getting a gigabit. And I'm noticing through. that more and more, by the way, with some of the servers I've been using and like yeah. game downloads. Like Steam servers are insanely fast. I've noticed the CPU load on my quad core is starting to get pretty high there. Yeah, and so this is where AMD making standard eight cores or six cores is actually right. really useful. It's just like the PlayStation where it had extra cores for, for downloading stuff. And then you were still playing mm-hmm. games and it was running in the background. Um, and that that's like why Qualcomm is getting so much, you know, profits. ARM is getting a lot of profits is due to the fact that they're running an entire processor unit to do yeah. your, your whole network. But as far as communication through the, the system, it still has to download and put that data somewhere. Yeah. And if you're not running an S, uh, SSD and you're not running a at least a six core, this is why uh, anybody who plays games and people are like, oh, I don't really need, I can work with, a, with Intel, four core, it's going to be fine forever and ever. And, or six cores, no hyper-threading. Yeah, no hyper-threading will become a problem because as soon as you, you load all those six threads, um, you're done. You can't download anything from the internet. Anybody who plays games has to download something. There hasn't, yes. there, there hasn't been... Any game that even if it comes in Blu-ray, which has a hundred gigabytes at this point, <laughs> that with the new PlayStation mm-hmm. Five will have a hundred gigabytes. Yep. You're still gonna have day one patches <laughs> that you have to download. Unfortunately, probably yeah. Yeah, and that, that's just gonna be more and more common. Um, and this leads into why, like things like Stadium and and five um, G and all that kind of stuff is is actually crucially important um, because. We're actually getting to the point where wireless connection is catching up with direct connection. So that's what uh, the importance of 5G is, is that if you look at 4G, it's only uh, 5 gigabits per second. It's like 5 to 10 gigabits per second, if I remember right. And then you're going up to a factor of of 1,000 to, to 4,000 because it's, uh, it's uh, theoretically up to 20 gigabytes. Uh, bits, 20 big, uh, gigabits, sorry. And, and I've noticed this too because there's 5G Wi-Fi that's been pretty standard on re- on decent routers yeah. for a while now. And well, no, sorry, re- that's, that's two different things. 5 gigahertz um, Wi-Fi, which is... Uh, oh, yeah, I should say 5 gigahertz. Yeah, so 5 gigahertz versus 5G are two different things. But correct, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, correct, yes. Uh, I should have said 5 gigahertz and I yeah. noticed that it's a different band. It allows you to split up Right. For instance, yeah. I'll have my devices that don't need it. Like my mining rigs, I run all of them on the 2.4 gigahertz because it doesn't use any bandwidth and it doesn't need to be low latency. It just yeah. needs to connect and be stable. And 2.4 gigahertz, because it's a lower band, right? It yeah. allows it to go through walls better. The connection's better. I just want that. 
But for gaming, 5 gigahertz is substantially better. And yeah. I have noticed. Uh, I get I game over Ethernet still. But like, and this was a thing that is new to me because it's like, no, over 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi, I can game. And I do notice the little hiccups using 2.4. I mean, I remember all the way back when I was in college, I had a big Killzone clan. We play in tournaments. And I was like, why am I sucking in these battles all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I noticed it's because I wasn't using Ethernet. And just, even though it was dedicated servers, just using Wi-Fi was like making me miss sometimes. And it was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, I'm on uh, 4G LTE, and it's actually up to 180 uh, megabits per second. So that's good, though. Um, the LTE, of course, is a different one than than just plain 4G, um, but because it gets up to 20 gigabits um, per second, uh, what that allows you to do is a that's just the the signal that goes out, but that that allows everybody to start doing Ready Player One amount of data. So the thing about Ready Player One is that in order to do that, you have to transmit so much data to make it look good. <laughs> That it right. ends up into hundreds of it's like 4K levels of of data transfer. So you're transferring data uh, 4K gaming live. Um, I can't remember what uh, Google was saying you needed for stadium 4K, but essentially mm. that. So about yeah, uh, 14, well, it's very simple, right? Yeah. How much bandwidth can an HDMI cable carry? Yeah. Okay. All right. Now think about if it's streaming, <laughs> they're yeah. going to do all types of compression whenever they can because they have to, but. Think about that. You're not going to get HDMI quality streaming until we can download HDMI bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's where 5G becomes extremely important is because we're we're catching up to uh, it's catching up the physical hardware to the um, uh, wireless hardware. Right. And, and and let me let me ask this too, just to st- take a step back for everyone. Yeah, yeah. What is a G? What was one G? Okay. So it's the G's are just generations in terms right. of, of cell phones. In terms well, of but I think I think they market it in commercials almost like it's HDMI 3.0, which I guess you could argue is a comparable thing because it really doesn't mean anything. It's just a new standard. Mm-hmm. But I think people think it's like upgrading a certain type of technology. It's not it's not really, right? It's just a set of specs that you have to meet to be 5G, right? Correct. So it it has to have the ability to process uh, theoret- the theoretical limits. So like uh, there's certain. So what was one G? Do you remember? I have. Uh, it's like kilobits at that point. But we never like data was always. I think two G and then three G and then four G massively. Mm. Like because yeah, when you go to one G, I've used two G yeah. and two G was like you could read emails and websites sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And because if you go back that far, most people didn't have cell phones. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so it was very, very but it was very limited and basic, but um it, it's just generational. So the bandwidth signals that they're allowed and the uh, way you're connecting and and how it distributed, three G did actually change from two G because three G allowed mm-hmm. uh, segmentation of the uh, the channels. So like uh, you have a lane of the highway, and you have a semi truck that comes through, and then you have a mini car 
well, that uh, a mini car will only need a, a certain section. And so that's actually what changed. And in terms of mobile data, mobile data has been using that for a long time. Uh, Wi-Fi 6 actually just is is the adoption of that type of technology. So that's actually a change for everybody. And this is what this would allow people to wirelessly game like uh yeah. hardcore is what six uh what Wi-Fi six will I started being able to technically game on a 3G hotspot, but mm-hmm. it had to be a good one and it would be like only a game like Age of Empires. You're not doing this on uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cuz the 3G But it was the is, start. Yeah, 3G is in kilobits per second and you can game a little bit. You're just not going to have on the game. Yeah, you just won't have anything high high def running. When you get to 4G, that's when you can play videos just fine without issues. You can do most right. things without issues. And like I just said, it's a hundred and something on LTE. Um, so, so what's what's the difference between 4G and LTE? Because I actually don't know. That that's just how much data can be processed. So okay, so how much better? So let me ask this question: How much better is LTE than 4G compared to 4G to 3G? Well, the download speed is like five to ten uh, megabytes per second for just 4G. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the actual values for for three G, but it's in kilo, kilobits. I, yeah, I, I don't remember sure. either. It was again, it's enough to play games. So I would imagine. Yeah. I think it was like two fifty six, or it was something. Yeah, it was two hundred, two hundred something, two hundred fifty six. Um, it's real low. It's like DSL. That's yeah. but it's still. And don't hate us. I was guessing, yeah. guys. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it was exactly that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know for certain either because I don't have to deal with this. <laughs> It's what it it felt like to me, right? It it is about that because the generations are a factor of of a 10 to 100 um, difference between. And just like, um, for instance, uh, USB uh, is a factor of 10 to 100 Mm, uh, times difference. Um, It was a huge difference with Bluetooth and stuff like that. Those change. (laughs) Those get really big uh, downloads uh, when it comes to those uh, generations. but the thing with uh, 5G and the thing with, that's important about uh, Wi-Fi 6 and 5G, which are two things that are coming through. And, mm-hmm. and I'll also talk about what, what concerns people have with 5G. Um, we'll get to that in a second. After this, <laughs> after like discussing what, what the benefits are. Um, so you have like Quest. And, and this will all tie together with what AMD is doing and what ARM is doing. And so you had Cortex who talked, and this is what I this is where I got really impressed with ARM and themselves uh, mm-hmm. when they were trying to do the multi, um, basically make single threaded workloads become multi threaded. That is insanely good optimization. But uh, I'll just try to stick to the simplest parts. What AMD is doing and what they what you declared that they could do in laptop, which I believe and I actually am uh, looking at that too, because uh, how much energy is reduced with the efficiency, 10% efficiency increase with energy on, on Ryzen 3, but then Ryzen 4 and all that kind of stuff will increase that even more. Yeah. Um, what the PlayStation 5 is capable of, let's just assume the uh, graphics uh, power is equivalent to a 1070. Even though even though what It's going to be substantially more than that. It's going to be substantially more. Given the fact that it can run uh, 4K at 120 hertz, if that is true, <laughs> that's it's, more This is a whole conversation. I yeah. I'd say 
Do, do you want me to say what I think the PS5 is again, just to recap? Sure. Or, okay, <laughs> well, so okay, so let me back up here. <laughs> so fixed function, built-in ray tracing hardware, which has been rumored for a long mm-hmm. time. I'm not sure what Xbox's implementation is with guys. They're going to have something yeah. similar, probably. Like they're they're probably going to be similar. It's going to have fixed ray tracing hardware. It's going to have an eight core Zen processor. Everything says 3.2 gigahertz, and there's a lot of reasons to actually go with that speed. It actually has to do with DRM with PS4 backwards compatibility. Yeah. But, um, you know, and, and so, that, and I do think there's going to be a PS5 Pro and a PS5 Base, and we can get into that whole argument. But the fact is they're targeting, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue about what it's going to use for the memory bus. It could be 256. I think it will be on the base, and I think the Pro is going to have between 320 and 384-bit. But again, it, it's semantics. The fact is they're targeting bandwidth um, I would say in between a 2080 Ti and a Radeon 7. They want that level of bandwidth mm-hmm. and they want, it's going to be RDNA 2.0. Yeah. And this is a good conversation with Paul on the podcast, actually. He points this out, that it's like they're targeting 13 to 15 teraflops, which yeah. is RDNA. So that's 50% more performance than at 5700 XT. Yeah. So the what I've always said is, and it, it's from 2018, guys. It's not going to be that expensive to make that kind of performance in 2020. I don't know what to tell you. It's just not expensive to make that. Mm-hmm. It's just they're selling it for a lot. And the PS5 is going to target that level of performance because that's what it takes for 4K60, that level of performance. So yeah. why would Sony not target that? If you're making a next-gen console, you really think you're going to sell people a 1800p instead of 1440p or something? Yeah. Like, no one's going to buy that. So they're targeting 4K60, and that means a 2080 Ti. That means an eight-core processor with a backup processor. That means custom ray tracing. And the other stuff they're talking about, and this is where I kind of try to get off of my diatribe and lead back into you, is... They're going to do custom ray traced sound for 3D sound. Also, supposedly going with a specific type of wireless technology that they're going to use for VR is a rumor. And also just for Wi-Fi gaming. Yeah. So the thing with that is, is that if they adopt, say, YGIG um, as as a standard that they use for that uh it, that theoretical um, throughput is 40 gigabits per second. You have a lower end version, and it would be cheaper for for like standardization. But this is the thing that that people don't realize about VR. There is one million on Steam oh, wait, alone. Yeah, that's enough for VR. Yeah, yeah. 40 would be five gigabits. Well, it's it's less than that if you wanted actual like solid okay. VR. It's way less than that. And you have to think in terms of like how much uh, Stadium declares 4K will cost in terms of bandwidth. True. Yeah. Um, is how much uh, like a the highest end like we're talking index level uh, VR like or Pimax level VR. Uh, bandwidth is required, but essentially for no latency. But you wanted um, no latency, but you wanted to no matter what to always work really, really well while you're in that room. Uh, y gig is really good for that because it has such a high throughput. But you can you can lower the uh, specifications to have a lower end Y version Y gig where you just go one gigabit uh, throughput and just be you'd be still fine. Um, but the thing is, because of what you're talking about with uh, with um, the processor units and the reduction in in space for all that, uh, this is where what's essentially you have the quest, and people are like, "Oh, that's great." 
Uh, actually, let me start over because what I was going to lead into was actually the PlayStation. The PlayStation 4 um, and VR is one of, is actually one of the largest VR distributors. Um, it's yeah, it's the biggest, most successful one. Exactly. They 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 outmask everybody. HTC Vive. Um, it's not even close. Oculus like combined. Combine yeah, exactly. So this is where VR will now become mainstream. Even though technically it's about mainstream, when you have over a million uh, VR headsets already sold. Which I think they do now. Yeah, know. they have a million, and that's Steam alone. That's actually—I so. I mean, they probably have more. Yeah, yeah that's just Steam uh, headsets, actually. Which I have to check those figures, but yeah, I don't remember a PSVR. Is I want to say PSVR is like three million. Yeah, and, or something. And, and so again, that's so all of Steam uses one million. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what other. And I just, I just like to be clear about this. It's like I'm not a PlayStation fanboy. I'm just telling you the facts. Yeah. You can combine all other VR, and it's not half of PSVR. Yeah. So the thing is, if you have it as just a video broadcast, so you don't need to have that much har- uh, hardware inside the the VR in order to to um, in order to just pick up the information from the device and display it, um, you can you can have a lower grade, but and still have a high quality because um, it's just processing the images and it, the images mm-hmm. being processed almost instantaneously without any delay because you're you're just inches away from where it's receiving and sending it. Um, but the thing is, what I was going to say is, you have the Quest, but compared to what's theoretically possible with uh, with la- laptop-based uh, CPUs and and GPUs, a- uh, APIs, based on what you're, you're discussing, how powerful the API is. And this is what I was saying about, let's just assume for a second <laughs> that it's a 1070-level performance, even sure. though it's way so higher. So it's an Xbox that. One X. Exactly. <laughs> uh, a 1070, a non-TI, because a, a, a... There's a big difference, yeah. Yeah. A 1060, uh, 6 gigabyte, can run VR just fine. Uh, if you're running sure. uh, the Oculus or you're running uh, Windows Mixed Reality, all those are fine because the memory minimum is 1050 Ti. By the way, um, it is. A, it used to be a 10. Well, for or 570. I well, 1050 uh, Ti is for Windows Mixed Reality. If you want to run Windows Mixed Reality, but you, the Windows Mixed Reality is like fairly decent of experience. If you, it's one of the cheapest thing. Like, get the if you're interested in VR but you don't want to spend a whole lot of money, get mm-hmm. the Odyssey Plus. That that's my recommendation because I use that. I use the Odyssey. I don't use the Plus, but that's because that didn't come out yet. <laughs> yeah, and if anyone wants to try VR, I mean, there's cheap ways to try it. I'll yeah. just throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think me and Dan talk about that a lot in the new Die Shrink. It's just like you know, Google Cardboard, a twenty dollar headset that fits your four K phone, fourteen forty p phone. That that's gonna be rough though. What I, all I'd say though is it's very rough to do that. <laughs> Uh, I had no friends who didn't done that. If you want just a legitimate, uh, all I'm saying is if you want a legitimate experience and you value consoles. So if you think a console is valuable because it, it costs about $300. No, yeah. I'm talking about literally trying it for almost free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could do that with your Google, your Google, uh, your phone. I don't recommend literally doing cardboard though. I mean, come on, yeah. buy a $20 headset, guys. Yeah, buy, buy the, the, the mobility ones. <laughs> <laughs> they fit on better, they're more comfortable, and they, yeah, they don't cost on. that much. Um, but what I'm saying is if you actually want to get into VR, but you're not certain if you want to go full body or 
or anything like that, or you don't care about full body. Full body will cost like a hundred dollars per yeah. per tracker, which is way more than anybody should really spend for it. Unless you're dancing in VR constantly, and then you buy an additional one because you have to charge it and only lasts for four hours. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not really worth it. Uh, it. There's also no space reco- uh, restraints when it comes to the mobility one, and then you have the Oculus uh, S, which. Is exactly what Windows Mixed Reality people have been already situated with. We don't have base stations, so we're already used to it. It's not that big of a transition. Um, it's because of the cost is is three hundred dollars. And mm-hmm. if you wanted to start out, I would recommend the Odyssey Plus. Um, the S is kind of just weird in its uh, resolution. It's not as high quality as as the Odyssey Plus. I have to double check that, but remember, right, it was slightly smaller, and it's a single display. Um, mm. But the Odyssey Plus does get rid of like the screen door effect. Anyways, the the point I was bringing up to just get back to the uh, the five G and everything else. What five G will allow? Let's assuming the the API on the the processor is at a ten seventy for some reason uh, level of performance. You're going to be able to run the index level of performance, which is a uh, is like a 5K or whatever, because uh, there's two monitors and they're all you know the math. It's weird. Um, you're at least a 4K like dual. It's 2,000 pixels or whatever, uh, 4K display on that headset wirelessly. You're gonna. It's it has enough power in that processor unit and. Uh, the battery is such that you could just connect uh, battery backup to it too, and and basically play forever with index level of performance, index level of vision. And when I say that, if you look at MRTV's video, he actually takes screenshot images and compares side by side by different VRs. Um, the quality of the image, um, and because the the throughput. 5G allows you to just go outside, connect to the internet, and have stadium uh, 4K experiences with games on your headset because of how much processing power is actually packed into these CPUs. Uh, this is this is why what AMD is doing is actually mm-hmm. fundamentally so important. Uh, mobile processors is what the Quest use. Let me say this. So, and I, maybe I can summarize it. Uh, it sounds simplistic and it sounds like marketing, but is this true? Just the reason 5G is a big deal is because this is when wireless, not just Wi-Fi though, right? Yeah. And, and, you, say, and you say 5G and Wi-Fi 6, right? Because they're kind of... Yeah, they're coming out at the same time. Yeah. So, so that, that's good. So the reason Wi-Fi 6 and 5G are a big deal is because this is the point where we basically get wireless to not be a bottleneck to bandwidth. Exactly. Ever. So with Wi-Fi 6, what it allows is that you get to do the same thing you can do on your mobile phone, which is segment the network just for your the chunk you mm-hmm. need, basically, per device. And so, which is very important. Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you exactly. And with with five G, it's basically you you're able to to play and do anything you want with no limitations. Uh, there never will be a bottleneck because of how much data. And even on my four G phone right now, it's like 
100 megabits per second. Um, right, because that's what I was like. I was like, why do I need more than this? But you're saying it's not just for maybe what you use it for. Yeah. It's just not a bottleneck anymore. And and I think this is what everyone's screaming is, is what about latency? Yeah, well, there, there won't be any latency, but mostly because, and this goes into the concerns that people have, but it's also required in order to have no latency. Um, the towers will be right pretty close to you, actually. The uh, 5G towers will be stationed within the cities, um, pretty uh, pretty spread out throughout the city, which actually allows multiple places for you to draw off signal. And that that's that's actually many of the... Um, it's, it's a requirement in order to make it work, but it's also one of those things that actually is really beneficial because it has a lot of... You'll have a lot of crossover area for that signal. Well, these towers are going to be close to me. Yeah. That brings me to a reader mail question from Jacoby6000. <laughs> he writes in just like you can. You support me on Patreon. And he says, will 5G give me cancer? The answer to that is, uh, is absolutely not. Uh, just as a, as a short, direct um, no <laughs> to cut that off. And, there, and I'm not just confident. In it. I know that for a fact. And the reason I know that for a fact is because if we look at ionizing radiation or radiation that actually causes cancer, it's in the peta uh, gigahertz range, peta uh, petahertz range, right? Um, which is substantially higher. The the main thing that you need in order to cause cancer or in order to affect your cells is for it to actually move or manipulate the DNA or tissue, mm. and. As far as the waves go for Wi-Fi, which is in the five gigahertz range, and the thing I mentioned was something that FCC should, could allow, which is in the fifty uh, gigahertz range, and that's the difference between Wi-Fi six um, or Wi-Fi in general versus five uh, um, uh, G. Is the fact that it can actually go up to higher bandwidths. Uh, mm. Wi-Fi just because it's cheaper. <laughs> and that's the only right. reason they use the. The free license ones, and that's why you're you're going to be in the five gigahertz uh, range. Um, I actually work where I work. We have eleven different access points, so Wi-Fi access points. You have Wi-Fi being broadcast at five gigahertz and uh, two point five gigahertz. So if you do the math of a combination, it's at least up to 50 gigahertz com- constant uh, collective exposure because <laughs> they're all overlapping. And these devices are stadium quality devices, which means the area of effect is from my desk to almost a hundred feet away. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's one device. There are eleven that sit next to me. Uh, no, sorry. There's eight coworkers that sit next to me, and so basically each one has two. <laughs> so there's sixteen devices. Um, and I'm not worried at all because it. I looked it up. I did my own research on this, and you can do the research. It's so low, and the impact is so low, and the impact isn't ionizing. That's actually crucial for cancer to occur is it has to be ionizing. It has to cause movement and vibration in the cell and the DNA structure to knock out. Like the If you do jumping jacks, for instance, that's more movement and vibration in your body than Wi-Fi causes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more disruption. It's in it, the lot. The part that scares a lot of people is because it's invisible. 
And it's waves, and it's sure. moving through you. It's penetrating through you. And it is moving through you. Yeah. yeah. And that scares people. But the truth of the matter is, because of how big the waves are in comparison to ionizing radiation, in terms of the you know the distance between each one, which you can actually like see that it is possible to actually see that. <laughs> it's just not going to hurt you. There, there's no reason to hurt uh, to think it'll hurt you. Um, and we have cell phones in our pockets. Um, that's the thing is that um, we, are, as in terms of scientific community, they have a lot of um, materials that they can obs- they can put like uh, wireless devices in, including your phone, and see if it moves the materials, the atoms, the the, the molecules, any mm-hmm. of that moves it, and completely and have it completely isolated from the outward surrounding, have it stored, and see if that, that occurs. But there's not enough energy. If there was enough energy to cause disruption in your body, uh, and I know people might say things like, oh, but the microwave can heat things up. Well, that's because it's at a certain resonance with water. Resonance, but that doesn't cause the water to become uh, radiated. It just gains heat. Right, like there's a difference between heat and, well, radiation damage. Well, yeah, radiation or radioactivity. It technically is right. radiating heat energy, but sure. that's that's different. No, 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 but right, and that's the problem is people hear radiating and they're like radiating and it's like no, 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 wait though. Yeah, it's not it doesn't have a half-life. You're not breaking down the water molecules. My radion 7 is radiating heat into <laughs> the air. That doesn't mean it's radioactive. Yeah. And I I guess the two things I would say is, hey, you know what? If a bunch of people at uh, Verizon and AT&T start getting cancer in a year, maybe start worrying. Yeah. But uh, let's wait for that to happen first. Yeah. And second of all, like, I don't know what to tell you guys. Uh, there are radio waves and all different types of random frequencies being emitted from outer space into Earth, into your head constantly. Yeah, there's background that's how the universe works. And, and, and from the center of the Earth. And, and the sun. I mean, you... Like, you're getting way more radiation, ionizing radiation, actual ionizing radiation from the sun because it can cause cancer than you would ever get from uh, from Wi-Fi. You could uh your entire life that you're exposed to Wi-Fi will, will not equal even a portion of the amount of energy uh you would get uh adduced to by the sun in one day because it's actually significantly a lot if you stand outside all day. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm waiting for you to get cancer. <laughs> and that that's that's the point in which we'll actually, I will personally sue. Hey, we'll do another, we'll do another uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'll sue you my own can- company. William got cancer. <laughs> I got cancer. I'm dying. Uh, run away from Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, but uh, it, and this that's can be used as evidence. You know, this is where he says he was told by the company publicly yeah. that he wouldn't get cancer, and then there you go. Yeah, and that's the thing is that I, I there's actually it's just a very specific type of cancer because what what'll happen is your your DNA will break down so that I can actually legitimately prove that the cell phone or the wireless signal did cause my cancer mm. um, versus like I got cancer because of the environment I live in. <laughs> yeah. So I have another reader mail question here sure. and this comes from Carbon Cry and he asks, when will we finally replace Ethernet or, and he, and he says here, no, but seriously, are we ever going to upgrade the interface we use for physical connections. I don't know if you have anything to say about that. We do all the time, actually. There's uh, Cat Six. Um, you have um, right, and then so th- that's the thing is that um, if you look at an actual server, um, 
and you could just go go server. There's uh, that's what fiber optic connections are. They are a uh, transition to a, a more robust connection than copper. Uh, it, it, it's just in short distances. It might be cheaper just to run with with copper because the copper has been there for a very very long time. Um, the only thing I would say is that it would take an entire um, company or industry to design a fiber optic from the router, uh, from the um, the the uh, network box, which is where you get your internet from, uh, to your computer, uh, or from the network box to the router to the computer, completely fiber optic in order for that to change. You'd have to have you have wow. to have it all the way through because it has to transition from, and this is in cop. A copper can transmit a lot of data. It actually can go up to uh, terabits per second. If you look at the the um, uh, cable conventions, they actually show off that all the time. So, you know, not being able to get to one G. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really, Comcast. Apparently, you can't you can't pull it off, but you can apparently pull off a a, a terabyte. <laughs> data transfer uh, at the convention. Um, well, it's too hard. Yeah, it's too uh, money losing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's the thing is if you want, um, but you don't really, and that's the thing, you don't really need to transition though. Uh, there's no real reason to. And the, the as far as from your router to your computer. And the reason I say that is because from your router to the computer, um, it it's it's there's not that much interference because there's not that much distance there's not that much difference distance in between but if you want to talk about what you you can go to a five uh wi-fi six is actually the thing that allows you to perfectly game fine because you'll have your own dedicated segmentation of the network without ethernet connection and I'm on my home Wi-Fi, and it gets up to 200. And I'm on gigabit internet, by the way. It gets up to 200 megabits per second for my phone download. So with Wi-Fi six, yeah, I assumed you were going to say that eventually, yeah. right? Is it just won't even be necessary? And in fact, yeah. I can envision personally a future where wireless will be faster than what we can even do physically, potentially, right? That's where that's where five uh, G comes in. Is when you when I talked about the theoretical throughput of of um, twenty gigabytes. Uh, do you know what um, um, USB four theoretical speed is? Oh no, I don't remember. I can guess, but I'm not going to. I can tell you. It's, I bet I could it's guess it forty gigabytes. So that's a uh, if you times that by eight, that's how many gigabits are, are coming through. Um, which is. 300 and 320 gigabits per second. Um, Why wireless cannot, there's a certain point where it's, you have to get to a hurt range where the distance is too short. So that that's, or you have to basically do point to point, like just have a laser that transmits the data. Right. That's an option. Yeah, yeah. That is an option. You can also have like uh, LEDs that transmit data at gigabits per second. That that's also a thing. Linus Tech Tips cover that. But essentially, when you're reaching twenty gigabits per second, that is a replace. That is a replacement for direct connection. You don't need. You don't need a. Um, 
uh, wired connection in order to transfer huge uh, data packets or programs because uh, you can do that instantly. Yes, it'll, it, uh, wired will always be faster technically because of the USB 4 standard it is 40 gigabit, uh, gigabytes because a uh, direct connection uses gigabytes instead of gigabits. Um, but, but the thing is, is that unless you're transferring a terabyte, <laughs> that doesn't yeah. matter. Um, if, if you're playing games or it's getting very close yeah. at this point to the limits of physical, even it's, it's not, it's not technically next to it, but effectively whatever you would be able to do with this, you'll be able to do with this. So who cares? Yeah. So, uh, sta- just to give you an example, um, stadium 4k at 60 Hertz was a hundred and something, uh, megabits per second. If I remember mm-hmm. right, you can look up their chart and, and see that, but it was like, uh, 10 for HD or something, take megabits, uh, dedicated yeah. for HD. And so if you're at gigabits, then there's nothing, there's nothing that'll touch it. There's nothing that'll, they'll use the whole, whole entire line. And you, you can segment that off for everybody. Everybody will be able to play games just fine. They won't notice any delays. So then, uh, companies will then make the transition. And that's basically what will happen to ethernet and everything else will just become wireless. And right, because it sounded, honestly, it sounded like a long shot to me kind of to try to bring it full circle, at least why I think most people were interested, mm-hmm. or at least why I was about talking about 5G as I heard. And, and we don't know. I'm not going to confirm that they're going to do wireless VR with the PS5. Yeah. But it certainly is a lot of suggestions they are. They, they're directly hinting yeah. and And like I said, all in the full circle, all of... Direct connection um, VR experience becomes possible with what AMD is doing, with what uh, YGIG is capable of. And that's in uh, 20 gigabits per second as well, or 40 gigabits per second, actually, uh, for the theoretical throughput for YGIG. It it is short distance, but it is... And and by the way, while we were talking, I Googled this. There's a website I found that lets me calculate gigabits per second for different types of resolution bandwidth. And so I was like, well, so supposedly the PS5 for their new VR, and supposedly it's going to be able to use the old VR if you're a cheapskate. Yeah. But uh, but the new one's supposedly going to have 1440p per eye at 120 hertz is what they're targeting. Yeah. And so that's a little less than 4K, actually. And when I look at that, yeah, that should add up to about a little, like, I think, uh, would this be 31.8 gigabit per second, which based on what you're saying, there's room for now. And there just wasn't before. Yeah. Now, um, as far as that goes, because the screens are smaller, uh, and there's a lot of trickery that that VR people do, Mm -hmm. you technically don't have to push that much stuff there. No, I'm sure they they won't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even even non even yeah. theoretically, it seems like it's in the cards. For for YGIG, it is completely possible. Um, uh, there's there's a lot of lot of wireless uh, stuff you can do. Completely possible, direct point to point. Though that that has the problem of interference. Um, but YGIG has a problem of interference if you get too far away or something gets in the controllers and everything else. Yeah, and they won't launch it right away, right? Yeah. They're going to launch the PS5, get the exclusives out, get all the fanfare, and then they'll wait a year or two, and then this will be the next big push to make yeah. people buy stuff who didn't buy it already. Yeah. Now, I when I say all this stuff, I don't have any inside knowledge because I don't work for those companies, but 
I'm just telling you what is based on my knowledge of VR, based on my knowledge. Yeah, it's just logical though, right? That's what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. You're going to be able to do uh, ray tracing um, games like Minecraft, but people, uh, the thing is that people don't take VR that seriously, even though there's a million people who use it on Steam and there's three million headsets that have been sold. That's yes. a huge demographic. Um, That's why I say VR is here to stay. Yeah. It's still niche, but it's here to stay. Yeah. And the thing is, is that um, you're going to be able to do such a high quality experience. Uh, and and the point to the point where your brain won't be able to distinguish a little bit um, between what you're doing and what you're feeling. So uh, this could be a different video topic, but I actually studied for a little while what was something called phantom sense, which is something where you experience someone touching you uh, in VR. Like I said, I played uh, VR chat, and that's actually a very common phenomenon because your brain can't really decipher well, yeah. the difference between the two. It'll add the senses for you, right, if you see it. Yeah, exactly. And it's because it also has to do with alignment between the, the, the body of the avatar and yourself in the physical world. Uh, the, the more realistic the stuff becomes, the heavier that experience will be. So you can end up with a, a Tesla suit for free. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and it gets pretty intense with that stuff. Um, I and the thing is, people uh, are worried about VR because they're like, hey, this isn't socializing. This is uh, it's isolation, well, yeah. and you're by yourself, and this kind of stuff. And that that's absolutely the opposite of, of the truth. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, you can make both arguments. Well, no, I actually have data to back up what what I'm saying versus what people will criticize it about. Um, I was so I was running through VR chat, and there were hackers, and there are people who will um, crash your uh, your your game, um, and stuff like that. And so people got together and responded to that by forming communities to target them to get them out of the game and block them from from the system entirely and help fix patches in order to to do that. So it ended up being sort of the tribal response of you're you're messing with our family. And I even talked to the people who were doing this said why do you why do you do this and they they responded because I really care about this community and I hate anybody who makes it, it makes the game unplayable. And I thought that's really interesting because you also get a lot of people who will say things like, um, it's just online. <laughs> and and a lot of that a lot of that comes through when people do stuff in VR chat. A lot of that comes through as far as what people will say. But that that's not how it ends up working out because you have people who make friends, uh, you have people you have people who form relationships. Uh, you have people who end up getting emotionally destroyed because they lost that friendship. And so that that's how intense or uh, the experience being face-to-face with people, technically. Because you're face-to-face with a, a physical entity that has a face, has eyes, talks to you, moves around. It might as well be, it is another person on the other side. Which is why when I talk to a lot of people and ask them, hey, do you look at the avatar's eyes? Oh, yeah. And, I, and when you're talking to somebody, 
And then they say, yeah. And I go, I can't tell you're doing that. So why are you doing it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't see your eyes. I can see the avatar's eyes. And they go, I don't know. I just do it by habit. And that's because the brain at a certain level um, doesn't know the difference. Yeah. And I've done that even in games that's not in VR, where someone will jump in front of me and I'll press a reaction like I'm blocking something. I'm like, wait, why did I do that? That served no gaming function. And I just did a motion like I would in real life for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's where I say the future is actually bright. Because I saw communities form. I saw uh, people becoming friends. I saw uh, a lot of entertainment. A lot of money trans, uh, changing hands. A lot of people. Oh doing, yeah, I, I'm not worried about the future, yeah. but I, but it's a good point because a lot of people are. Right? Yeah, they're worried about the disconnect between society, and I can personally inform people that society formed itself inside VR with these with these uh, social games, and it doesn't matter the social game, it, and it doesn't matter the game anyways. People. Mm-hmm already know that communities form all the time in games like uh, wow and stuff like that but when you get to vr that's when it becomes actual human interaction community level style of uh, reaction um tribalism uh protectionism and that kind of stuff like natural kindness and honesty actually a lot of that's the thing people get the most wrong about people on the internet 99% of the time, people are actually very honest about themselves when they're talking to you. Well, let me say this too, and I don't know if this is true of you. Well, I don't I don't know. I don't know what your hobbies are. Yeah. But, uh do you do you, I don't know, do you have a, do you go do you go walking? Do you go on hikes? Do you go camping? Do you have a dog? I'm I'm just curious. I'm just asking. I, I do all that. I I have I had a pets. I've I've I actually run every day for an hour. Mm-hmm. I act- have you been doing it? Have you been doing it? This outdoor activities have been doing it more or less lately? Um, I've been running more just because I want to lose weight. <laughs> but what? Well, so, so I was listening, and I, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to get to this because actually, I don't. I only have about another five minutes. <laughs> but uh, so, listening to the podcast, Sacred Symbols, they were talking about how the early internet. Oh no, it was a knockback. Um, they, they were talking about the early internet. These are older people, mm-hmm. maybe like. 40 years old. And they're like, you know, I used to go on the internet in the late eighties, early nineties to escape the real world. But now that everything's connected to the internet, I'm going outside more just to escape the internet. Yeah. And I think people know it's good for them. And I've gotten into camping recently and I've gotten into, I I walk more. I, I, I'm now running more often. And here's the thing, the more interconnected, I think the more interconnected we get online, the more you know, hiking's on the rise. Millennials travel more than any other generation. They go hiking and rock climbing is like exploding, this industry of rock climbing. And it's because people are going outside because they need to go outside. And if people are worried about VR, it's like, look, humans know what they need. And VR is just going to connect us more. And if we use it too much, we'll go outside more. We're probably just going to appreciate the outside more when we're outside, I think. Yeah. And that's the, the, well, when it comes to VR, you'll be able to experience like the outdoors pretty well. But at the same time, because of the community aspect uh, with introverts, you don't like people. Mm -hmm. So the only way you can get away from people is going outside. (laughs) 
Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's true. Now that that's, that's the that, that's, that's what I think is the more corner of it is that most gamers who um, most people who adopt the hobby because it, it's a way to escape they adopt it because they're introverted and they want to want to get away from people. For me, because of the social games and because of the social complications and all that kind of stuff, yeah, I do actually stop playing VR for a good long while uh, and go outside and and hang out. I will say this, I have met people who I've dated in real life from online. There's no shame right. in that and that's No, 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 how that's you, very yeah. common now. Yeah. And and there's no shame in in being in VR, but people will get headaches and not headaches because of 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 observing VR for so long, but they'll get headaches because they're dealing with uh frustrating things. And it turns people off, and so they walk away from it. And like you said, people know what's good for them. There is negative repercussions from having negative relationships. Still, like, if you're getting hurt by the system, um, people don't like that. It's just like the the mouse and the door experiment, where the the door shocks you every time you touch it. (laughs) Eventually, you stop wanting to just touch the door. And so people like myself will walk away for a good long while, and then they come back uh, to that door uh, to see if there's cheese. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of cheese to be had, don't get me wrong, behind that door. But um, it does shock you every so often. But that's the thing I found most surprising. And when I, I didn't actually expect that. I actually expect a lot of people to have the general mindset that this is online this is not real. Therefore, anything you do here or any um, thing that's lost or anything that that's, that's, uh, just stops or goes away, um, falls apart, um, people steal your stuff, whatever, uh, like your avatars. They, they download your avatar for, um, through the internet because it's all packets and data. Um, uh, that people like, oh, it's just online. It's no big deal. Um, like people do with Twitter or whatever. Well, yeah, but people do that on these other communication, I don't know, yeah. websites because they're so removed. You're just typing. You're looking at an avatar. When I say avatar, I mean a picture or name. Yeah. It's not the same as VR. And in many ways, VR might solve our communications online it, issues. Because if you use VR, you see them as humans again. Yeah, and that's exactly what I, what I, what I was getting at is that you have the uh, subtle motions and movements that you have uh, when you meet people, like the hands go around and people do gestures all the time and, and stuff like that. And so you that's where I, those communities started to form. And that's why people cared so much when people steal other avatars and then they get uh, called out on that because you're stealing a part of someone's work. You're stealing a part of them, of the person. And, and so I think from my perspective, I didn't go into that thinking that would actually happen. I thought the opposite. I thought it would be... You always assume new technology technology is evil just because I guess that's what we assume. Well, I assume that the the ideology that the internet people have a lot of time with the internet would carry through, which is it's online, therefore not real, which is not technically true at all. It's Even when you're on Twitter talking to somebody on, on Twitter, you're talking to another person Unless somebody pro- did a program, but well, but well, so <laughs> I guess the way I would put it succinctly, yeah, online hasn't mattered. It hasn't been real, but it is now. Yeah, exactly. You could lose everything just by going online. <laughs> in the real world, you can you can end up hurting someone physically in the real world. Um, 
but to emotionally, they can get impacted. But there's always been someone on the other side of that screen, just sitting there, just like you, talking to them. And that's what I that's what I try to emphasize the most with people who actually took that perspective in VR chat. They say, uh, or in in VR, I always say them, no matter what, just never forget on the other side of that screen is physically someone yeah. standing there. Yeah, and people even forget it. Well, <laughs> just speaking personally, yeah. that I'm a real person. Exactly. And you have feelings. And, it's and, like, and I am talking to them, and it's like, I don't know how this, you know, I mean, I troll and I've flamed before, but never to the extent I see some people do it. And I'm just like, you do realize these are real people, right? Yeah. This like, this is where people who are like trying to incite fights between two channels or something. And I heard about oh, that. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I watched your video on that. And I was like, dude, stop trying to create drama. These are actual people who may be friends with each other. What are you doing? Um, it's not It's not like Spartacus. Are you not entertained? My, my, my favorite thing on that is just how they'll say, did you see this one video? He called you stupid. And I'll be like, let me see. No, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> like, you think I'm not going to watch the video before I... Yeah, yeah. And Or did you actually think he called me stupid just because he didn't? A hundred percent agree with me. People are allowed to disagree. Yeah, yes, but uh, if you can, feel free to put my Twitter handle, which is at the Boom One, into the description. If anyone wants to talk to me about like networking stuff, has any questions? Yeah, uh, I am it to me too. After this over Skype, yeah. and you know, send me that link too. Yeah, yeah, I will. Because um, I don't mind like if people have questions and stuff, and like networking and people were like very much scared about so many different things. Like I talked about the election, you know, the, the voting machines and I talked about like towers being close and the, the non danger with that. Um, the voting machines way more concerning. <laughs> Just look up the DEF CON videos. And all I'll say about that is they gave it to adults one year and because it was too easy, they gave it to children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I was going to bring up something else, but I don't think I'm going to because uh, I think the last five minutes we had was actually a good yeah. note to end this on. <laughs> it was, I think we hit a logical, positive conclusion. Yeah. So I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, send me your recording file. As everyone knows, we do this remotely. Uh, and uh, send me those links. I think you already did, but you can send them over Skype too. Sure. And, uh, um, is there anything else you want to say? You're going to, I'll put the Twitter in the description. I'll put the link you in, in the description. I'll put any other, frankly, I'll put any other yeah. information you want in the description about you as well. So people can find you, but anything else you want to plug or say? Um, I just, I just hope that, um, that people share optimism with the future as far as networking and technology goes, because it is a very bright and, uh, far future that we have ahead of us when it comes to just being cable free. And that, that's that been the hope of a lot of people in technology. And we wouldn't have gotten there without both uh, disruptions in, in with AMD and Google and all the companies, um, while at the same time, pure incompetent, incompetence and malice of other companies. And I won't say who specifically, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, there's always going to be more bad in the future, but yeah. on average, we're getting better. Yeah. It's not, it's not pro. I will say this. I think people assume things always get better. No, no, no. They only get better because we make them yeah. better. So you can't stop fighting. Yeah. But I mean, 
Uh, you'd have, I, I'm going to be honest, you're not a realist if you're a complete pessimist because if you look at the trajectory of history, things are going pretty well. And well, the things that are going to be bad are probably not going to be what you expect. <laughs> let's, let's be clear about that. If anyone wants to know the real bad stuff, I am, I'm also a policy advisor. So I can point out the real bad stuff to worry about and also the good stuff to be happy about. So I can do both. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and the bad stuff to worry about is vaping and rock music, right? Uh, vaping is fog machine smoke. So <laughs> yeah. that's not what ABC News told me. I know they're talking about, you know, you're getting them long popcorns. OK, you got to gotta get that butter, you know, for them long popcorns. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, I think on that note, I will close this. And uh, yeah, I mean, God, thanks for reaching out. I think this was great. And uh, I think everyone will appreciate this episode. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. You can find all my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan, and it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, if you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On October 11th, 2019, the following supporters are at the net burst 10 gigahertz level or higher. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraj, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Mohammed Al-Kawari, Matthew Brubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Calm Marco, Otterwise Tech, Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Keelan Lau, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue, 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Bollocks, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schaff, Frederick Lau, Alexander Dolar, Alethros, Telos, Caden, Greg T. Wanchik, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Whiny Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wow, thank you, Jedi. Uh, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music, and thank you to William. His information is in the links below for joining me for this episode. <laughs>